As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson. And before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, then please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined today by Andy Gosler, Professor of Ethno-Ornithology at the University of Oxford and an ordained minister in the Church of England. He shares some of his fascinating story in this great new book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Well, Andy, what I love to do with our guests is just go right back to the very beginning of their life. Obviously, we want to talk about the ornithology because it's such an interesting topic. But if we go right back to the beginning of your life, what was your experience of God as a child, would you say? Mm -hmm. Um, I'd I'd say it was confused and confusing. I did feel connected to nature very early on, and I I was blessed that um, parents and friends introduced me uh, to birds especially, and and one of my earliest memories is of of feeding the birds, uh, feeding uh, ducks in the park pond. And why I think that's, that's relevant is that it gave me a sense of a connection with reality, independent of what I was being told or taught. Uh, but the reason that religion was confusing is that I was growing up in a liberal Jewish household, went to Sunday school, um, where, you know, I, I learned about, uh, Ruth and Esther and Abraham and Moses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and was told that Jesus was a prophet, um, albeit a great prophet, but a prophet. Um, but at school, um, I was told that Jesus was actually God and um, knew enough about what he said about himself to know, well, if he's a prophet, he's a very odd prophet. So it is the only, the only way to uh, get away from that conflict, because all that, all that really did was generate conflict. So I had my own sense that, uh, that there is God and I'll find God with, 
with nature, you know? um, which, of course, the Bible tells you, though I didn't know that in those days. Mm -hmm. um, but the only way to escape from the, the conflict of being being told, you know, different things by dif different people that I respected. I mean, you have to believe your parents um, <laughs> when you're 10. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, uh, these various authorities was to say, um, you know, uh, uh, as I would say now, that after my bar mitzvah in 1971, I said, right, that's religion done with. Now I'm going birding. Wow. And, uh, and now we didn't call it birding in those days, which is, you know, bird watching. <laughs> um, but what I would, would now say, um, that, that actually God was speaking to me in that and saying, uh, yeah, you're right. That's religion done with. Now come and find me. Hmm. And, and that's, that's what, you know, the next 40 years were about. <laughs> right. So after your bar mitzvah at 13, you then, mm. did you always want to become an ornithologist after that? Was that very much the kind of clear route that you wanted to take? Um, it, it was a, it was a goal. It certainly was a goal. And, and as a teenager, I was looking at, you know, what are, what are the options? How can I make a career out of this? Um, and, it gradually became clearer that an academic route was the, the the right path for me. I looked at all sorts of things. I I I was a person of absolutely zero ambition, and I would still describe myself as someone <laughs> with no ambition. I had no ambition to be an academic, to be, you know, a professor or what whatever. And and so nobody is more surprised than I am at <laughs> you know, my sort of exalted status now. Um, but but that's that's God, isn't it? You find God and and things happen. It's ex extraordinary. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of your career because I was fascinated to learn um, you were speaking at the book launch of, of this event, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, and you talked yeah. about the fact that in the early 80s, you ended up actually in the same department at Oxford as Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Would you say just a little bit about that and the impact that that had on your career, but also on your faith journey? Yes. So after uh, degrees in environmental biology and plant taxonomy at two other universities, um, I uh, was really blessed uh, to be given a half-time field assistant post that's kind of about as lowly as it's possible to be, uh, not even full-time lowly, but half-time lowly, <laughs> uh, working um, uh, with the the great population study in white and white and woods which meant that i spent a lot of time in the woods um on my own with the birds which was just wonderful um but it it was in the department of and the project is still going uh in the department of zoology which is now part of um the new department of biology um and yes richard dawkins was a was a big name um so 1981 was what five years after um, Richard Dawkins had had written the Selfish Gene, which I'd read as an undergraduate, and and people were sort of swooning at the the wisdom of this. Um, but I did see even then I saw a philosophical flaw. Nobody knew enough molecular biology in those days to see the scientific flaws in it that's all developed later um 
but yeah, he he was a a big shot who was. I think he was probably still teaching a bit in at that at that time, but the selfish gene be, became such a bestseller that he basically um, bought himself out of out of his uh, teaching responsibilities. Um, but I was aware at Oxford of. Yeah, I, I suppose there there was a bit of conflict for me, the sense that everyone was, and I do mean everyone, uh, was regarding this this book as if it was a new sort of sacred work, and every every new utterance from Richard Dawkins, whether it's the blind watchmaker, the extended phenotype, river out of Eden, blah blah blah, what whatever was. Um, a great new step towards towards what? Because it wasn't really um, enlightening us further about biology, because we now know so much of it was wrong. Um, and so, what what was the great ambition? And when the God delusion was published, it became very clear what the great ambition was that that this was some sort of atheist mission, and. I'm sorry, I'm a biologist. I'm an ornithologist. I work for this department because I I actually because I love birds and I love nature and I care about it and conservation is my mission and I'm delighted to say that you know the new biology department has really embraced that as as part of its its mission and anything to do with the existence or non-existence of God is not the purview of a department of zoology. So I, I had a sense of, you know, what is going on in this place? You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. One of the things I was really struck with in in the book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, is you talk about the fact that this kind of constant drip, drip, drip of atheism in Dawkins' writing was Uh, actually what forced you to think about faith. You were there, as you say, just to read about science, to read about evolution. But actually, this kind of underpinning of anti-theism, I suppose, was actually what forced you to really think about religion when you perhaps wouldn't have done anyway. Yes, it really was. Uh, And... um... It was focused. So, as I, I say, I started as a half-time field assistant, but um, published some papers and was kind of recognised and got into a research track, and then uh, was to was actually told to give some lectures and discovered I was quite a good teacher. Um, <laughs> and and it it was that it was the teaching the 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 need to teach evolution that had me going back and I thought well I'll I'll reread the selfish gene and the blind watchmaker and all that etc. But I was only reading them um, as a biologist, thinking 
you know, this this is going to help me teach uh, evolution. And the constant drip feed of uh, anti, and it wasn't in those days, in, in those books, it wasn't specifically, it wasn't anti-religious uh, drip feed, it was anti-Christian drip feed. And I got to a point, it was, it was a kind of irritation with it, that, look, I just want you to tell me about how evolution works, <laughs> um, but you're so determined to stop me knowing about this thing that I didn't want to know about anyway, um, that, you know, there's a thing in, in, in training animals, and I am one, uh, that, 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 you know, if you don't, don't want it to do something, um, or if you wanted to do something, actually quite a good way to get it to do the thing you wanted to do is to tell it not to. And that's a, that's a really strong side of human trait I, mm. I think it's kind of captured in the in the sense of genesis don't do this oh but but but, but why not you know mm. i <laughs> you have know, a two-year-old so i understand that entirely yeah exactly exactly tell them to do the thing that mm. you don't want them to do and mm. they probably won't do it. uh but but that was really me richard dawkins was telling me not to do this thing that i didn't even want to do and it was so frequent in his writing that I thought, okay, mate, you so don't want me to know about Christianity. I want, I, I need to know about it for myself. Um, and I had learned enough about, um, Jesus in school. Um, I mean, as a, as a child, and this was part of the conflict I was talking about earlier. Um, I loved the parable of the Good Samaritan. That spoke powerfully to me and, and I think resonated, of course, with, with my Jewish sense of social justice. Um, and so I was already aware that this thing I was being told, um, by, by a biologist, you know, not to be interested in, that well, had, had its own attractions. Um, I'll, I'll also say that, that, um, my father who, um, when I told my parents in, in the year 2000 that I was going to be baptized, um, dad described himself as a card carrying atheist. He said some <laughs> other things, which I won't, I won't mention, but not, not anti, <laughs> anti church or anything. But his atheism came from a, a really strong sense of hypocrisy in religion. Um, that was one of the good sort of moral things that we learn as children. Uh, to be wary of hypocrisy. And so when I read Mark's gospel, when I read Matthew's gospel, um, I found a Jesus who sounded like my father. Because, you know, what's this guy's, but what is the greatest sin? It seems to be hypocrisy, actually. <laughs> you know, his, his, uh, a, a, a attack on the Pharisees. It's, it's all about religious hypocrisy, but also um, a culturally constructed image of God that has nothing to do with um, the real God of love and the real God who the prophets, of course, were always trying to say, hey, look, guys, <laughs> it's not like that. It's like this. So how did you move from being intrigued by what Dawkins was saying and sort of 
feeling like you were pushed in the opposite direction of where he clearly wanted you to go. What was the next step? How did you get from that sort of dissatisfaction to actually I'm actively pursuing looking at Christianity? That that was that was uh, quite a uh, the threshold moment was walking past a secondhand bookshop, Thornton's, which is no longer long no longer exists in Oxford. And my my attention was actually drawn to a rather nice tie that was in the window, which I went in and bought. But while I was in there, I I looked at I looked around the bookshop, and there were there was a book by a, a Dominican, um, uh, Gareth Morris, called something like Belief in God, and um, I read the preface of that. It was the the book was three hundred pages of quite dense text and no pictures uh, and I read the preface <laughs> and I thought you know this is the most rational thing I've ever read what do they want for this £2.75 I think we can stretch to that um, so I bought that book and I read it cover to cover and I loved that and then I discovered that there were people writing um, Alistair McGrath is, of course, one of them, um, but many people writing at the interface between science and Christian faith. Um, and I started reading those books. Uh, another important thing that I did, um, there's a longer story here, but I won't, I, so I won't, <laughs> won't go into it, but, but how, how basically the local church um kind of reached out to me and it was in the connection of of birds and i started going going to church um and uh, it started with my going to a midnight uh mass on on christmas eve uh so it would have been christmas eve 1999 and Tom Honey, who actually I knew from school, which is extraordinary because I was in school in London and this was Oxford, and he was a bird watcher, um, and he was a vicar there at that, that time. Um, and his sermon that night just was pure humility, and it spoke to me very powerfully. Um, well, I've, I've now given, you know, uh, I've preached at that service and i know of course there are people like me in the congregation who you know never been in a church before and uh, and and so of course your sermon is is um inclusive i mean we would hope all preaching is inclusive mm. but but you know it but it challenged this is the point that it challenged all the the, the stereotypes that i was getting from richard dawkins and the rest of it and and that's that's the that's been the reality of my experience of of church and uh risk of offending anybody any nonsense about um genesis conflicting with an evolutionary history of life um i i i've just not found it in my you know christian life and journey 
Well, I definitely want to talk about that, that sort of perceived conflict between Genesis and evolution. But let's just stick with your story just for a okay. moment, Andy, <laughs> because so Christmas was obviously a really key moment in your sort of journey towards faith. W was it just a long sort of set of culminative events that gradually sort of you became a Christian or was there a definitive moment where you thought, actually, I didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was the son of God, but now I do. Was there a particular thing that really, really clicked for you? Well, there, there, there was a road to Damascus moment <laughs> and it was in the spring of that year, 1999. Um, so my work in, in the woods involved amongst other things, catching as many of the breeding adult great tits in their nest boxes as I could. So I started going to church then, then, um, early 2000. I'd reached out to Tom, the, the vicar, and he'd said, come, come to church, you know, and see, see how it feels. Um, and we hadn't, uh, planned, decided anything about baptism already. Uh, uh, or anything and that was to come that came that november um but that spring i suppose it was may um there was one particular bird that i was trying to catch and he was eluding me a male <laughs> great to in box cp 38a remember it well and um i had tried many hours over the course of three days i mean with all the other work that i was doing um, and I decided, uh, this time I'm going to try one more time. And if I can't get him, that's it. So we have little spring loaded, uh, trap doors that go inside the nest box. The bird goes in, trips a little door that, you know, um, closes behind them. So perfectly safe. But I kept catching the female and I was worried that, you know, she was going to get fed up with, with being handled, you know, three times in an hour. Um, and and the effect on the brood and all, all the rest of it. Anyway, I'd caught her. I caught her twice this evening. I'd 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 gone down and reset the trap. I caught her twice, and I went away and I sat behind a tree near enough for them not to see me, but but near enough to hear if the trap went. And for the first time in my life, and it was kind of well, I've tried everything else. Let's try this thing. I'm going to church, you know, whatever. Let's, let's try this thing. And I sat down behind my tree, my, my tree and I prayed. And I'd only just set the trap, you know, and normally this doesn't happen this quickly anyway. Uh, but I prayed and uh, along the lines of, Lord, if, if this be your will, you know, and in Jesus name. And that for me was, was the crucial turning point. In Jesus' name, Amen. And on Amen, I heard click, and and I looked round and I looked at the the nest box and the, I could see the door had gone. And I thought, "You're kidding me!" And I <laughs> and I walked back to the tree. I got the the box down and I got this bird out, and it was the male who I'd spent three days trying to catch, and he'd gone in there on. Amen. Now, people yeah. can tell me that faith is belief without evidence, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, well, we've got 2,000 years of evidence, and here's just one more little bit. 
But it really was my road to Damascus moment. It was an instantaneous, and 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 actually, I fell on my knees and I said, "Oh my lord, this is true." <laughs> and I feel myself welling up, you know, just to think about it. And I didn't let my bird go, you know. I wasn't, uh, <laughs> you know, I knew what I was doing. But but that that was an instantaneous kind of moment. And it, and of course, you have wobbles. Um, and, but I always remember back to the moments and that was the first moment. It wasn't the last one. That was, you know, what, 24 years ago. That, that wasn't the last moment. I have answers to prayer and, and the way God works things out with you is just always with such grace and, and love. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic and wishing you a very happy new year. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. We would love to hear your feedback. Do drop us an email with your thoughts at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or get in touch via social media. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles and resources at our website, premierunbelievable.com. You can also register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.